for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his head. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Ken. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mellow. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mellow. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Everybody is doing it. And by it, we mean being excited about all things Canadian football. We're back. Uh, that is supposed to be <laughs> August 5th, August 6th, I believe is the date they set the Grey Cup rematch. Wait, Kyle, is your water being delivered right now? Is that why you're staring off camera? Is there about to be... Oh. Oh, what's happening? What's happening? The uh, the girlfriend is uh, painting some wood she sanded earlier today. Oh, can we see? Can you bring it on camera? I would like to see. Uh, it. Da- well, the paint is wet. Oh, that's... is there any dry pieces of uh, wood over there? <laughs> oh no, they're all painted. They're all see, painted. That, that was the. That's why we got kicked off radio because we didn't have live in studio paintings happening. That's what we should have had. <laughs> that would have saved the entire radio station if we would have done that. Uh, I drove past. No, a couple it. of weeks back, she uh, she stole a bunch of wood from her father out of the fire pit. That wow. was like, or just like extra wood. So she brought it all back. It's been sitting in our garage, and uh, today she decided to uh, get the sandpaper out and go to town. <laughs> awesome! That's beautiful. So, what's the paint going to turn into? Like, what's the artwork? That A we're... sign. So oh. she's been uh, like, she has all these stencils and stuff for like sign ideas. So uh, she's going to make them. Some are going to be gifts. Sorry if you're watching the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know, some will will keep. And uh, yeah. But. Love it. That's good, man. My uh, my wood wood my woodworking and arts and crafts days feel like they're over. Uh, it was a very abrupt death to my love for woodworking and doing creative things. I think the last thing that I did was I took the stump of Noah, my son's first Christmas tree. Oh wow! Look at that. What the fork? Hey. Yeah. What the fork? <laughs> like a well, mini cutting board. Yeah, a little punny. I like it. Uh, that's very good. But I t- <laughs> I took the base of Noah's first Christmas tree. And I sliced it into like miniature wood cookies because it was just like the stump, right? So it was yeah, yeah, basically yeah. the size of the palm of your hand. And uh, even though we got a <laughs> we got a Christmas tree this past year that was way too big, like we by the time that we ended up actually fitting it into the base and fitting it inside of the roof while also leaving scratch marks that still exist on our roof, um, by the time that we finished doing that, the tree was no longer like the the eight to ten foot tree that it was. It was like a six and a half foot tree, and it was just a ball. Like there was no triangular <laughs> shape to it because we had to trim so much off the top. So anyways, I took that tree, sliced it into wood cookies, and then I used a wood burning utensil and I spelt Noah in capital letters. Nice. And that, and then I, on the fifth wood cookie, I, I found a, a design online, just like a freehand picture of like mountains with a river and stuff. And I used the wood burning tool and I actually drew a design in the wood, like burned it into the wood cookie. And then I slapped double-sided Velcro onto the wood cookies and I put them on his bedroom door. So it spells out with four different wood cookies and O a H with a little mountain scene on top of it. It's super cool. And I think I needed to retire from woodworking right then and there. Cause I'm not going to do any better than that. Those paintings that you used to uh, do a long time oh. ago, the ones that you brought into uh, to TSN or you were doing when I, I was, was it, that was years ago. I think that was even yeah. before we started our show. 
Yeah. So are you talking about the ones where it was like I would use a bunch of scrap wood and turn them? Yeah, into yeah, mountain, yeah. The scrap wood into yeah. mount, mountain art. Mountains. Yeah. yeah. Oh, those are that one was good. I have a couple in my bedroom that were again. I retired because I created two of them. <laughs> I created two of them that were better than any I had ever created. They're so sick, and we put them in the bedroom. One on my side, one on Marlene's side, and uh, and then from that point forward, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm done making these. It's so funny though because I I got into doing that because I saw a design that was on Instagram. And it was some woman who lived in Montana and she used scrap wood from old barns, like the side wood of old barns that had kind of deteriorated and the weather had beat them up and stuff. So it was like faded blue and faded gray and faded red. And she, she was legit. She had like actual woodworking instruments and tools. And, uh, and she turned them into these beautiful pieces of art that were, they weren't like little dinky, you know, four foot by three foot things like I was creating. Yeah. They were, they were like 10 by 12 and these massive pieces. <laughs> and the first one that I did, I'm not kidding. It was, it must've been, I think it was eight feet by six feet. Okay. And at first you're creating it and you have all the scrap wood and you have these, and I, yeah. I, I cut it down. I, I used a handsaw for that one, man. Uh, and then I didn't know what I was doing. So I put so many nails in it. And it was so much wood because it was eight feet by six feet that I, it was so heavy. It was so, I don't know how I ever moved it anywhere. And here's the terrifying thing. Here's how much of an idiot I am. I could have died at any point when I had this, okay? This big piece of mountain art. You know why, Kyle? In my student house, I found a beam. Like I tapped the wall. I found a beam and above my bed, I hung this hundred pound piece of wood whoa, on the wall next to my bed. And I like angled the screws in the wall so that it would stay hung up on there. But there was no guarantees it was going to hold at any, <laughs> at any point in the middle of the night. It looked beautiful. Great conversation yeah. piece. Uh, destroyed the wall. When I left there, I had to like putty and sand everything and repaint the room because I destroyed the walls. But in that student house, I should have died. There's no way that thing should not have come down on me. And in the middle of the night, I would have just gone. <gasps> and then somebody would have yeah. walked into the room three <laughs> days later and been like, why didn't you show up for the radio show? They would have walked down into my bedroom and they would have seen me crushed under that massive piece of wood. Yeah, you would have uh, definitely had like broken ribs, broken oh. sternum. That thing, if it would have fell like this. So <laughs> just would have not cut you in half, but that thing would have uh, done some damage to, uh, to your rib cage a couple of months ago. Um, so when me and my girlfriend moved in, we put shelves above our toilet in our, in our bathroom just to put like fancy stuff up there. Yeah. And the girlfriend loves to burn candles. Right. And she burned a candle that, you know, me big off. candle guy in studio. I burned candles during the winter time. <laughs> oh, I love a good candle. Yeah. She's the same way, but she had this one candle that was like a wood wick and the smoke from it, it was like a dark smoke and it left like a like a residue on the ceiling in the corner. Oh, no. So Kyle goes cleaning the bathroom one day is like, you know, what? I'm going to get a cloth. And I'm going to wipe that down. I'm wiping it down. I'm pretty tall. So I don't really need a, like a big ladder. So I got a chair, put it in front of my toilet and I'm leaning against the wall like this with my hand between the shelves. And I'm going to the top corner of the ceiling, cleaning it does not. <laughs> my right hand slips. My left hand oh, that was no. between the two shelves slipped too. I pulled the la the bottom shelf down and it fell right on top of our toilet. It broke the toilet lid. You know, oh, like the, the tank yeah. lid, it broke it. Uh, landlord uh, 
replaced it, but I was going to say how much excited, how much does that run you? Like, cause I know you can get a Costco like 90 toilet. bucks. Okay. I was going to say, I know you can get a Costco toilet, the whole thing for 99 bucks, but I don't know about that top lid. If you can get that kind of separate, but yeah, that's a good thing that that wasn't uh, too, too expensive. If it makes you feel any better about being klutzy. I saw somebody face plant while walking through a crosswalk yesterday <laughs> because they're flip flop. We've all oh, had, no. this, we've all had this happen. Yeah. Their flip-flop folded underneath their foot because it got caught in the ground. It folded backwards. Then their naked toes stepped on the ground, and the, it was an older woman, and she face-planted. Oh, no. And, and she was with her children. She wasn't, like, 80 or anything. She was, like, I don't know, 50. Uh, but she it's still fi- sad. I hate when yeah, I see stuff like that. I know. That. And it's, like, honestly, old me would have loved that and laughed. And then, like, older, more mature me is, like, oh, my God, is that woman dead? Uh, in the yeah. middle of the, in the middle of the street, I felt so. I'll be bad. honest. If if it's a dude our age, falls. He probably I deserved laugh. it. Yeah, he I laugh. It. I can't tell you the <laughs> amount of times at Hess Village on a Friday night when I was twenty years old, just nonsense happening in the middle of the street, and it's a cobblestone road. Yeah, drunk guys do not do well on cobblestone roads. Nope. I must have saw a hundred guys take a wipeout and i laughed every single time because i know they're okay <laughs> yeah uh, the, i think the one thing that i remember from the cobblestone at hess is just every single time i would go and, and this tells you a lot about uh, you know how simple and boring i am as a person which is a consistent thread throughout <laughs> all of our conversations is i would always go down there and i would always see women wearing high heels walking on those cobbles like just like d- oh, yeah. d- dressed up to the nines and mm-hmm. i'm like Okay, ladies, I get it. If you, you know, it's your birthday or it's a big celebration or you haven't seen your friends in forever and you want to get down up and go out, full power to you. That's cool. But I just remember thinking to myself, like, I am not going to, to fall in love with you more because you are wobbling around <laughs> in high heels on cobblestone and you look like you d- are taking your first steps. I'm like, yeah, I never. And then, they, of course, if they get drunk enough, they would end up walking down the cobblestones and bare feet. And it's just like, oh, man, yeah. there's, I never understand. I'm like, listen. If you wear flats and you go out, nobody's going to hold it against you. It's the same. Like, I always say this to my fiance about makeup. There's that old line in a Rascal Flats song. Like, I'm sitting here uh, watching you take your makeup, uh, watching you take your makeup off, wondering why you ever put it on. There's so many times where <laughs> Marlene's like, ah, my eyes are burning. My mascara. I'm like, why'd you put it on? I'm like, I don't need you to wear makeup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's like, I wanted to. I'm like, okay, sure. Whatever. The cobblestones at... Uh... At Hess Village, though, when the uh, the girls used to walk across in their high heels and there's the potential that the stiletto gets caught in the cobblestone and she takes oh. a wipeout, right? Or it's a massive opportunity to, uh, you know, perform an act of chivalry and walk <laughs> the girl across the road. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, damsel in distress and she starts falling to the ground and you... No, are, no, like, no. You, you do you that sp- before. You, you sprint, prevent it. <laughs> you sprint 15 steps and you save her from hitting the ground. And I mean, you can sudden, do that too, but then yeah. she, she takes a wipeout and she's maybe crying. because. Oh my God, thank yeah. you so much. What's your name? <laughs> Marshall. You just walk up beside her, just put your arm out. I'll walk you across the road. It's oh, like wow. 10 steps. Yeah. But... I'll walk you across the road to where Cottage 13 tattoos used to be. You want to get tatted <laughs> together? <laughs> no, that's not quite as chivalrous at that point. You want to get matching tattoos? You get my name, I'll get yours. Well, the problem is, is that, you know, now she's expecting for you to, you know, be her walking stick across the cobblestone road. <laughs> and then comes two o'clock in the morning. Can you walk me to my car? Where are you parked? 
It's like two blocks that way. <laughs> oh, hell. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you parked? Uh, Barton and Centennial. Uh, that's not close. <laughs> no. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to say no. By the way, I saw a guy. This was so great. And this this week, this is peak, peak Barton. Okay. And uh, by the way, I had somebody send me, uh, <laughs> I had somebody send me a, a picture this week that was of, uh, what's, what's his name from Tiger King? Uh, Joe? Was oh, Joe Exotic. Ex- yeah, Exotic Joe. So uh, somebody sent me a picture of him, and they said, this is all Ticats fans after the Ticats win, just shirt unbuttoned with a Ticat under his arm. I was like, <laughs> man, CFL season is so back if people are sending me these jokes again. But uh, but yeah, that I saw some- a fraud, eh? Well, I know he's in prison for attempt yeah. to, or for conspiracy to commit murder. Um, but when all you- murderers. No, no, I understand. But when you watch the... Uh, kind of the the finale the after the fact documentary about uh tiger king yeah all the tiger he was joe exotic was petrified of the tigers there was only two tigers that he would ever come in contact with one of them was blind the tiger <laughs> oh, that's a more yeah. dangerous isn't it um i don't think so and then i think <laughs> i think so if a tiger is more that's a great poll question i'm gonna write that down and just put that out if a tiger is blind is it more or less dangerous if you're handling it consistently because like i don't if it doesn't know who you are eh, like what are we supposed to do well a tiger did attack him one time oh yeah well it's because it's a tiger it's only a matter of time. That's right? what they're designed to do. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's wonderful. Anyways, my Barton story uh, is that I was sitting at a red light this week at Barton Street in Hamilton. World famous Barton Street. Uh, more scooters than cars. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I saw at first, like I, I got off work and I'm sitting at a red light and it's a long day, you know, four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, you know, kind of tired, whatever. And it's hot, sweaty. And I got my windows down and I'm listening to some music and I smelt what smelt like burning rubber. And I'm like, oh no, is that me? Oh, something's wrong with my car. And then my mind clicked in. Wait, no, I hear, I hear someone screeching their tires. And I look to my left and on the left side of the intersection, turning left with an advanced green out of some side street is a dude who at, four o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday is doing a burnout when he gets the green light, like a 10 second burnout with a pickup truck before drifting his pickup truck through the intersection. It's a Tuesday. Again, I reiterate it's 4 PM and I, I saw it happen in front of me. It's just, and the whole intersection is full of smoke and every single person sitting in their cars is just kind of like looking at it and looking at each other and going, yo, are you guys seeing this? Is this, this is really happening right now. Yeah. And then the guy drifts. So that it's almost like in the, in the snow where a pickup truck just like kicks the back end around yeah, yeah. and slides through. He did that through the intersection and then he just returned to normal driving. I was like, wow, I hope those were used tires that you're planning on getting rid of because the smell of burnt smoke in that intersection lingered for about 15 seconds. And yeah. I was like, man, you cannot defeat Barton Street for just seeing weird stuff like that. And guys don't realize when you do stuff like that, we see it in NASCAR probably like once a season where the cars, you know, will burn out their tires and start a fire. 
Like, or, there's yeah. a very good possibility a fire is going to start. <laughs> or kill the engine. That's what they always say when they go into, like, to, to do the burnout on the front straight in NASCAR. You always hear, all right, buddy, go celebrate, but be kind to the engine because we got to use this thing again. Like, yeah. it's, they're always, <laughs> it's like, it's not just the tires. I've seen tires pop. I've seen tires go up in flames. I've seen engines burst. I've seen exhaust failures. I've, so, yeah, that guy, I don't know, maybe that thing was stolen, not to generalize, yeah. but it's that, that was such a weird, I was like, wow, okay, Tuesday, 4 p.m., good to know. Yeah. Uh, two weeks ago on the Monday, um, my car brakes needed to be done. So I took it to the mechanic and the mechanic was near my grandparents. So I hung out with my grandfather all day as my car was getting fixed. And I had to go to the bank and pick up money so I could pay the mechanic. And on my way back to my grandparents' house, <laughs> um, I went down uh, Kenworth and Barton. So I went down Kenworth to the TD on the corner there. And then when I was coming back up, could not go down Kenilworth. It was blocked off. The cops were blocking off the intersection. There was a broken bike in the middle of the street. And I'm like, ooh, would somebody get hit by a hit by a car? So anyways, I had to go all the way around, get to my grandparents' house, tell my grandfather what happened. And my grandfather, he's retired. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go figure out what the hell it is. <laughs> so he walks down, which is like a block away, right? He walks down. And then he returned and he told, he told me it was a broken bike in the middle of the road. There was a dude with a massive machete Whoa. on top of a car, just swinging the knife. And the cops had a standoff with him. And then my grandfather couldn't really see, but he jumped off of the hood of the car. And then the cops just swarmed him. So I'm wondering if he dropped the knife and then the cops went in. But I'm like, yeah, that's Barton Street. That, that's Barton Street right there. <laughs> I'm telling you, and I, I always make this reference, and people always make fun of me for saying this because they say like, oh, no, you're not what you think this is. And But I'm telling you, I listen to the Dan Levitard show, and I follow the social media account at only in Dade, as in Dade County. Yeah. We, we are Miami. Like, we're a different version of Miami. But poll question, <laughs> the thing no, I'm telling you, and I say that before and people are like, well, maybe you're Tampa Bay. Like, maybe you're like, I'm like, I get it. We're not South Beach. We're not glamorous. But I'm saying in terms of the weird stuff that happens, yeah. Hamilton is Miami. Like, it's Miami North in terms of just seeing things that make you go, what? Because Miami is famous for people like twerking on the hoods of cars while driving 100 kilometers an hour on the highway. And you're like, yeah, that shouldn't be a thing. And then just like the randomness of the cars and the, the stuff on Barton that you see when you're driving down there. It's honestly, there should be a Discovery Channel show or maybe even TLC on just Barton Street where somebody just yeah. drives up and down and just catalogs what they see every day. Maybe that's a poll question. What city in Florida is Hamilton? <laughs> uh, like, I don't think we're fancy enough to be Miami. We're honestly we don't have more Tom Jackson Brady, so we're uh, not Tampa Bay. We're more Jacksonville. Like, let's be real. But like, we're Jacksonville without Tim Tebow. <laughs> we well, don't have a Tim. Yeah, that's true. Mike Morielli? Yeah, yeah, he's our, he's our, our Tebow. <laughs> he's our te yeah. <laughs> I would say, like, are we Tallahassee? If we're oh. Tallahassee, that makes you Jameis Winston. No. Uh, well, yeah, washed up. You were the university quarterback. Yeah, but he went on to actually play in the NFL, and I became a broadcaster. So. Uh, all right, I want to get to something. There though, has actually. to be a former Florida State Seminole quarterback as a broadcaster now. <laughs> Chris Winky? Uh, yeah. Winky, did Winky do some broadcasting? <laughs> if I had to, off the top of my head, Chris Sims didn't play at Florida State, did he? Uh, I don't know why. Why do I think that Chris Sims was a Florida State guy? It is so hard to figure out what 
uh, white quarterback went to what university in Florida? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is he a UCF guy? A USF guy? <laughs> yeah. No. Mackenzie Milton? No, that's the wrong uh, one. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Uh, I do want to actually bring something up off the top here that does tie actually into sports that is still Barton Street related. And that is, I have been intrigued over the past week and a bit by something that comes about once every couple of years. Sometimes it's the Olympics. Sometimes it's Euro. Sometimes it's the World Cup. Sometimes it is... Uh, you know, something like a, a Pan Am Games or otherwise. But there is nothing in the place that Kyle Mello and I live in Hamilton, Ontario. And I don't know if this happens in a lot of other places, probably in Toronto, maybe in places like Ottawa. But in terms of other CFL markets where people might be listening in to this show, like, I don't think this phenomenon is happening in Regina. I could be wrong. I don't think this is happening a whole lot in Winnipeg, maybe in B.C., I don't see it happening a lot in Edmonton and not really in Calgary either. I think this is a uniquely Ontario, super multicultural, proud of how multicultural you are type of thing. And that thing is flag guy. Flag, (laughs) I am so intrigued by flag guy. And when I say flag guy, I don't mean guy who has flags all over his car because that person is just very proud of their heritage or maybe they love soccer and they love Euro and I saw this week a guy that had the the Portuguese flag in the hood, which I think those actually look badass. I think those are sweet. They're Uh, cool. Really. And they look so clean. Like they just, they're so well done. I don't know how they do that, but, um, but yeah, into the hood. And then I saw the, you know, the same guy had them on the, the mirror covers and then he had them on the headrest in the car. And then he had a huge flag in the back of his pickup truck that was strapped to the the back. Yeah. It was just, it looked like a pirate (laughs) ship. He was driving. It was a, it was a black, Ford <laughs> Ford F-150 or something, Ford F-250, and it it had all these Portuguese flags. I'm like, that looks like a pirate ship that's flying the Portuguese flag. Uh, João but, Sparrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when I... <laughs> that's such a good joke. Uh, but when, when I... Uh, but when I see those flags on the cars, I'm like, I get it. Those people are, are proud. My question is, in Hamilton, there are no fewer... Then, if I had to guess from driving around town, 30 to 50 corners in this city that are all selling the car flags, right? That go into the windows or whatever. And more predominantly, the full size flags, the ones that you fly at the back of your house, you ring up a flagpole, whatever. And my question is where have all these people come? Like, What, what do they do in their day-to-day lives? What do they do for work normally? Because there's no way this many people are unemployed. Are they a traveling roadshow of flag people who just barnstorm from town to town whenever a major event is happening and they pop up? I think up it's on- a side hustle. I think it's a side hustle too. But I'm like, do people go on to Kijiji or Indeed.com or uh, you know ZipRecruiter and they see an advertisement for flag guy? And they're like, hey, it's minimum wage. You sit on a street corner and you sell flags to people. I mean, that could totally be legit. That might be something that people are doing. But I am just so intrigued by the idea that our city, and I know that happens in other places, but I do think that it's a bit of an Ontario thing. I might be wrong. If I am, let us know on Twitter, at Marshmallow. Man, there are so many places. You can't drive five minutes in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada right now without seeing a corner that is emblazoned with all of these flags. But here's the really interesting <laughs> thing on top of the flags and the fact that they have so many and there are so many people doing this and they're out for what feels like 24 hours. Like, I don't know when they pack up. 
I don't know when they show up to work because it doesn't seem like it's shift work. It seems like somebody is there for 20 of 24 hours. They might be allowed to go home at midnight and they come back at 4 a.m. for the early morning driving crowd. I also never really see that many people pulling over to buy the flags, but everybody has the flags on their cars. So obviously they're getting them from somewhere. Yeah, They, they must be stopping for these things. But at the one place the other day, I actually took a look and I'm always fascinated by the selection because right now Euro 2021 is going on and it's fantastic. And a lot of people are excited. It's great throughout the days. If you get a chance to watch all Kyle, I know you've been enjoying a lot of the soccer so far and I'm excited for Scotland against England on Friday afternoon. Unfortunately, yeah. I'll, I'll be working, but I'll, you know, DVR and check it out afterwards. Cause it seems like it's going to be a lot. You can of listen fun. to the game on the radio. That's true too. Yeah. I might check in on it that way, but, um, but yeah, the, the thing that I was intrigued by is that Euro is going on. And you would think that there's exclusively European flags that are at all of these flag guy corners that are around Hamilton and other cities like Hamilton, but there isn't. And so there's like, you know, you'll get a, a Polish flag next to a Portuguese flag, next to an Italian flag, next to a German flag, next to a skull and crossbones. And you're like, yeah, okay. okay I guess that was leftover. Stock. Or a NASCAR flag. Yeah. You'll I get see the Jeff Gordon 24 <laughs> flags. <laughs> you'll, you'll get like the leftover stock from 1998 in the Winston cup series. <laughs> Uh, and yep. then and then you'll see flags that just don't make any sense. And I saw one the other day that was it was amazing. It was it's such a niche flag that I saw it and I was going, I don't know why that was ever created. It was the imagine the Canadian flag, mm-hmm. but, the, but the red bars on the side of the flag. It's not solid red bars. They've been chopped up into horizontal bars. So it's like red, white, red, white, red, white, red, white, <laughs> all the way down. So it's chopped up. Then the maple leaf is still the maple leaf, but it's blue. But is it solid blue? No, 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 no. It's made out of stars. It's an American flag design of the Canadian flag. It's the stars huh. and st- it's the stars and stripes. It's the Canadian flag, but it's the stars and stripes. And I see it sitting next to a Portuguese flag, and I'm like, I wonder which of these two is going to sell more. Because in Hamilton, <laughs> in Hamilton. Eight out of every 10 flags that you see on vehicles right now is Portuguese. The other two are Italian. Like, <laughs> like that, that's the way that you don't realize how many Portuguese people live in Hamilton until there's a major international soccer event. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm not sure there's a single person driving around me who is not of Portuguese descent. It is unbelievable. Yeah. Like north of Jackson Square, um, you know, on James Street, if you go... I don't even know what west. I heard if there you was go a west, traffic jam. Yeah, if you go west until, gee, even I don't know, like past Lock, just a little bit past Lock Street. So from James just to a little bit past Lock, north of Jackson Square, it's like seventy percent of Portuguese people. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, so full disclosure, I've been doing delivery driving for the last I don't know month or so, and I was talking to some of the guys that delivered downtown. And they said that when Portugal won 3-0 over, who the, who'd they beat up on, Kyle? Hungary. Hungary, okay. Uh, so they beat up on Hungary as 3-0, and they end up uh, storming the streets down on James Street. And apparently, apparently there was gridlock. Apparently, yeah. they, they, like the drivers were saying that I worked with, they are like, we couldn't get through. And it wasn't just their area. It was like this downtown Hamilton went into basically shut down because Portugal won the first match in Euro. I'm like... Against freaking Hungary. I don't understand why people hit the streets when you you won a match that you're supposed to... Yeah, you won a match you're supposed to win. Like, I don't understand. Like, yeah, it's the Knicks. It's like the Knicks celebrating on the street 
of a, about a Knicks win over the Sacramento Kings. Like nobody cares. <laughs> beat up on the worst team. Uh, so I was actually driving home from work a different day this week, and I saw a bunch of youths uh, driving in a a pickup truck. Again, it's always the pickup trucks with the crazy flags and the big engine. Yeah. Uh, but it was a pickup truck, and they were actually holding on to like the back rack on the back of the actual cab, there was three guys holding onto it and they were driving down the street in the east end of Hamilton, waving Italian flags. And everybody was honking at them as they were driving down the street. And I'm like, this is incredibly illegal and nobody cares because, oh, yeah, yeah. because the, the cops city... are basically told do not arrest somebody for breaking traffic laws during Euro Cup. <laughs> like this city is psychotic when events like this are happening. And God forbid either of those two teams go deep because if they do, this place is going to get so unruly yeah. because we're a week in and this stuff is already happening. And But I do love when I see like on top of flag guy and everything flag guy has to offer and all the flag people out there and all the street corners in Hamilton, all the celebrations when their teams win, it, it creates this like ongoing energy in the city that's really difficult to explain if you don't live in or around Hamilton. But the thing I love is guy who just like, throws a macedonian flag on his car <laughs> like, they're like in the, the euro cup uh, well i know that's what i'm saying is like north macedonia yes. which i didn't know i did i think no, until last year is there a south macedonia no i think it's macedonia and north macedonia oh wow yeah it's macedonia not like a... is super small i don't understand how they just i don't think north macedonia is a country <laughs> and again i could be wrong you can I don't slap know me in the face if you see me i don't think north macedonia is a country but they're allowed to have their own soccer federation for whatever reason, right? It's like the thing that's happening in Spain, right? Yeah. There's been a big uh, push for the Catalan, so where Barcelona is, because there's this huge thing, Barcelona against Madrid, right? And if you're from the uh, Catalonia area, you don't like the rest of the Spanish players on the team. And there's infighting there until... Uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, Vicente Bosque, I think was his name. He was the Spanish manager and they had success under him. His biggest thing was you do not bring your stupid country in fighting into our dressing room. If you do, you will be sent home. And some players were sent home and Spain has had some success. Uh, Vicente Del Bosque left uh, the Spanish national team. It's kind of creeping in again because now uh, the Catalan team from Catalonia they're allowed to sometimes have their own friendlies against lesser countries. They'll play like a San Marino and just hammer them because half of the Spanish national team is from the Catalan. Man, that is wild how they've separated such a powerhouse in that way. But I think Macedonia, but, North Macedonia kind of did the same thing. Yeah. So, but I, I actually love being able to see the people who just are like, they're so proud of their country that they just throw a car flag on and you look at it and you go, I, I don't know where you're from. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know that flag because it's, it's just not as predominant as all the other ones. Like for me, Ferguson, obviously family is of Scottish descent. Scotland is in, and I, I'm having some fun with it because I don't know diddly about any of this stuff. I don't know anything. I don't know a single player's name on Scotland, but I'm sure as hell going to drink a beer and act like I'm a big fan of them. Why? Because yeah. everybody's doing it for their country. So why shouldn't I do it for <laughs> mine? Right? So I, I'm excited by the opportunity to do that. And I saw somebody who had a Scotland hood flag. And my first thought was not, oh, wow, good for them. Yeah, they're really excited about Euro. Maybe they're a really big soccer fan. 
my first thought was, wow, a Scottish person spent enough money to actually splurge on a hood flag. That's amazing because we don't spend money on anything. <laughs> I'm like, we are incredibly cheap and boring when it comes to spending money. I'm like, that I'm not sure that's actually a Scottish person because that would be a thing a Scottish person would not do to just be like, you know what, honey? We're going to just spend 50 bucks and put a flag in our hood. And if your wife is also Scottish, she's looking at you going, the hell we are. Yeah, um, it's probably a homemade flag. Um, he got he got <laughs> grandma to make it or something. <laughs> no, just like out of cloth, she knitted it. I mean, the Scottish flag isn't that complicated. No, that's true. It's the cross of St. Andrews, I like to say. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it does look nice and clean there, which I've always actually wondered why when they run at Silverstone in Formula One, why is it that they run with the Union Jack and they don't just go with, uh, is it the cross of St. Andrew? I might've messed up my crosses. It's been a while since I've looked at that, but, uh, but yeah, the, the English flag that is of course, just the, the vertical and horizontal red stripe on the white background versus uh, the diagonal white cross on top of blue. Yeah. Uh, or is it blue on top of white? Ooh, which is zebra black stripes <laughs> on a white or white on white. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I see that, I always think to myself at Formula One, I'm like, but this is in England. I'm like, why don't they just run, like run the English flag? But everybody runs the Union Jack because it's just like, but it's not the Great Britain. It's not the UK Grand Prix. It's, yeah. the, it's, it's the English uh, Grand Prix, right? So Yeah, it's the three lions, right? And three yeah. lions represents England. So uh, that's what it is. Exactly. Anyways, uh, what have you actually thought of Euro here? I'll give you a second to get some takes. Uh, what have you seen so far? It's been fun. Yeah. Um, I did the live stream for the, uh, for the Portugal um, Very cool. match against Hungary. Um, for 80 minutes, I was not losing my mind because I kept it kind of in check. Uh, for 80 minutes, Portugal was absolutely, I thought, atrocious. And then the last 10 minutes after a sub that I was calling for all game was made, then at least one guy on Portugal or one of two guys on Portugal to be taken off, the team scored three goals very quickly. Ronaldo put two on the board. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Portugal does against better competition. They get Germany on Saturday. Um, but as for the Euro, it's interesting because I think two things have stuck out. One of them, not good for some reason. The finishing ability of essentially every team in this tournament outside of Italy. But even Italy in their second match, they missed a ton of chances. Hmm. The finishing ability has been atrocious. Guys missing chances right in front of the net. Uh, penalty shots in this tournament, there's been four penalties this is after Thursday. There's been four penalties given in Euro 2020 so far. Three of them have been misses. Ronaldo was the only one to convert a penalty. That's insane. Just the finishing ability. I don't know what it is, um, but that has stuck out to me. Obviously, we need to bring up what happened to Christian Eriksen oh, from, from Denmark. Yeah, um, it was... You know, when something like that happens, and it took me back to the John Tavares injury, mm -hmm. where... You see it happen out of the corner of your eye, and then it's, oh, that wasn't good. But I saw the John Tavares thing. I didn't see Christian Eriksen fall. I saw when he was already down on the ground, and his teammates kind of turned and looked at him. And you could tell his head was flopped down. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. And then the panic sets in. I couldn't imagine, you know, being his wife, his girlfriend, I don't even know what it was, um, her being on the field, um, seeing, you know, uh, her partner, you know, in that state where you don't know, none, of, nobody knew. No. And then when he was, you know, taken off the field, um, they surrounded him with the sheets. So you couldn't really see. 
And then somebody snapped the picture, which I think was important and it eased tensions. Somebody snapped the picture and Erickson was awake. Um, he, his eyes were kind of glazed over, but he had the oxygen mask over and he had his hand on his head. So he was awake. Uh, as far as we know, what the doctors have said in press conferences, when they got out to him, he had a pulse. The trainer was the first person out there. He had a pulse and then the pulse dropped out and they did CPR and there was no response. The doctor made the quick decision to go to the defibrillator and on the first shock with the, def- uh, the defib, it, he responded and he got the, the heart rate back up. Um, that was obviously important. having to having to restart your heart in the most public of ways is just like, well, the, pl- yeah, the players terrifying. had surrounded him so he could have some sort of privacy. And again, I hate to go here. The players doing that, they don't know what's going on. Like they don't know if their teammate is let's, you know, live in reality could have died on that field yeah technically his heart gave out and you know he was unresponsive and he was gone quote gone that's what the the trainer used um if that's his last moments you want it to be done in private not where everybody can see it because there's kids in that crowd like they don't need to see that and that changes your teammates that changes like anybody who changes everybody that changes everybody who is even remotely close to it but when you're as close as the teammates and the opponents were to that on top of the family and everything else, like not that it wasn't already horrific because everybody was so scared in that moment. But like, I know I, I flipped it on. I was actually looking for the IndyCar race on Saturday afternoon in, uh, in Detroit. Yeah. And when I turned on the television, that match was on and it had paused. And I was like, what the hell is happening? And then I searched it out on Twitter and I found it and my jaw just dropped. Like I couldn't believe it. And super, super weird, random reference here. But when I was a kid, I had this reoccurring dream that Tamu Solani got hit so hard in the boards, he just dropped and died on the ice. Wow. I don't know. I don't know why it was Tamu Solani, but I had this reoccurring dream. And it was like to the point where I told my parents like, Hey, I don't know why I'm having this dream. I have nothing against Tamu Solani and I don't really know anything about hockey, but like I have this thing where he's, and I remember it was a nightmare for me. Like as a kid growing up, I would have this dream and I would wake up terrified because I had just seen somebody die on a rink. And yeah. to see to see that dream, albeit not on a rink on a field and not Tamus Lani, Christian Erickson, but to see that almost come to fruition, like somebody just dying on the playing field. Football is a violent game, and I've seen people get awful concussions. I've seen Tyler Carpina break his leg because a helmet hit it as his foot's planted in the ground. I've seen some yeah. gr- some gross shit that I wish I would not have seen that I'm not proud of. But I've never seen somebody almost die like that's. It's such a different level of emotional, just it destroys you to even come close to that. I thought it was scary to have it in a dream when I was a kid. I'm a grown ass man who has a child and I saw what had happened and I had that same gut just punch where I'm like, oh my God, I hope that's not real. Yeah. So when, you know, the thing happened to Erickson and he goes down, it it brought me back to one, the John Tavares injury and two, um, Miklos Fajer. So Miklos Fajer, was in a Hungarian um, that actually played for Benfica, my team in Portugal, and he died on the field. Um, He had, um, uh, you know, a cardiac episode and and went down and they tried to do the same thing. He was unresponsive. They rushed him out of the the stadium. He didn't make it. Um, And there's a statue of Fajero outside of the Estadio Deluge in Portugal. And my grandfather, when he went to Portugal two years ago, he wanted to make a point of going to the Fajero statue wow. because he remembers that. And that shook up the Portuguese league that shook up the country. 
because it is a reality, right? And, you know, it's not, you know, to your dream of, you know, somebody getting hit and, you know, dying on the ice. But we've seen some, you know, crazy things that didn't need to happen, right? Uh, I think back, you know, actually, after the Mark Shifley hit on Jake Evans from Montreal, yeah. uh, my girlfriend, I was like, look at this hit. And she goes, has anything like happened like that before where somebody just got absolutely just knocked unconscious? I was like, oh, yeah, a couple of times. I showed her the Paul Korea hit when Scott oh, yeah. Stevens hit him. And that one is scary. He wasn't out that long, Paul Korea, but when he went out and he came back to, he had his visor had been pushed down over his mouth. So when he let out his breath, it just completely fogged up the visor, but it was like immediate. His eyes were closed, eyes were closed. Boom, the visor has fog all over it from his breath. And I'm like, that is scary. I don't know and why he, I remember the Michael Pekka Darcy Tucker one too. Like I remember being a little kid when, when Pekka got run in the corner by Darcy. And I don't actually remember how bad it was because I haven't watched it forever, but for some reason yeah. that one is etched in my brain. Lindy it, Ruff wanted Darcy Tucker suspended for the rest of the postseason. Cause just, I wonder, do I think I have the audio. I don't know why I have this. I he have, said that was a famous line where he's like, that's, that's a joke. a joke. I believe that was that. That's the definition of a joke yeah. right there. <laughs> why do I have that audio in my iTunes? Um, but, <laughs> but that's so random, but yeah, I, like I remember that very clearly coming from him of, uh, <laughs> him kind of, yeah, campaigning for that to be like the end of Darcy Tucker and all things. So it's, it's really scary when you see that stuff, man, for sure. And I guess the, the closest that I've actually come to it now that I think about it is, um, you know, obviously Ayrton Senna, but I never got a chance to to see him live or any of that. Dale Earnhardt. Did you ever but, ever have a scary moment playing OUA? Uh, no, uh, honestly. Either on we, Mac or another team? Um, I'm trying to think. We never had something that was severe as that. Like, we never had a medical emergency where somebody was getting rushed out because their heart had stopped or something, which, again, I'm super thankful for because... I honestly don't know how no neck brace situations if somebody got like hit hard. Oh, Zach Ishmael, who was a defensive back for us. I 10 feet away from me, he got hit before we outlawed crackback blocking. He was just chasing oh. he was just chasing after somebody, and a receiver took a 20-yard run at him and put their face mask into his temple. And oh. the the sound of it, and there's actually a clip if people want to find that. Uh, on YouTube, it's Mike Daly mic'd up because that game Daly was mic'd up for the score. And yeah, that hit is from that game and you can hear the hit, even though the camera's on daily and then daily turns and goes, Oh no. And he like, he's mic'd up and it's totally genuine, real emotion on the field because he's his, his teammate. He plays in his defensive backfield with him. And Zach just got, he was, he was out before he hit the ground. Like he yeah. was, he was gone. He hit the ground. And then of course, you know, he gets up and he walks out and it's like, okay, I don't know how the human brain recuperates in that way. But for me, it was, the closest that I think I've come to any of that, um, just in terms of being a fan and having an emotional attachment, and it's still like, still bothers me even to just think about it. But Antoine Hubert in Formula Two, yeah. uh, passing away at the Belgian Grand Prix F2 race in Spa Francorchamps, and uh, and that was back in 2019 or 2018, I forget, but it's uh, that one is it was just horrific because it's one of the most iconic corners in all of Formula One where he's going through. Oh, Rouge, and he gets to the top and he spins out and he hits the barrier and he bounces back into oncoming traffic, which is going 250 kilometers an hour, and they hit. And at the time, Lewis Hamilton was actually doing an interview and he looked up at the television in front of him as he was doing the interview and Lewis got really emotional. And, yeah. and like that to me was one. And the other one was Dan Weldon, 
which if you're not an IndyCar fan or you don't love autosport, you probably won't know a lot about Dan Weldon, but super, super charismatic uh, English guy with a great English accent with a beautiful family. IndyCar scares me. Those guys go yeah. so fast. And on those oval tracks, I'm like, yeah, this and, is insane. And no power steering and all the rest. So the, it was actually at Las Vegas where, uh, he, again, it looked like a normal, you know, little fender bender, if you want to call it that, when you're going that speed. But he got up into the wall and I was watching yeah. the race and all of a sudden the race stopped and it, they cut to an interview with a driver and the driver was bawling. And, and this is like 10 minutes after the crash had happened. Like this isn't even, they shouldn't have had time to process what was happening, but he was dead. Like he was dead on impact. And I had watched Dan Weldon race. I had seen Dan Weldon live. I had sat behind his pit at Watkins Glen to watch IndyCar racing. He was a teammate of Danica Patrick when she was in IndyCar. And so when he died, that one, again, probably as close an emotional attachment as I can get to any of this stuff, but it, yeah. even being that far away, it's still, it was terrifying. Like it, it bothered me for a long time. And even now, when I think about Dan Walden, the thing that, that tears me up the most to your point about Christian Erickson and his family is that Dan Weldon won the Indy 500. And there was this incredible moment where his beautiful wife comes running out onto the track. And I believe he had two little boys might've had a little girl as well, but and two little boys came running out onto the track to celebrate with their dad for winning the biggest race of them all, the granddaddy of them all. Yeah. And when, when I learned that he passed away, IndyCar canceled the race immediately, as they should have. But the drivers asked to do a two-lap salute to Dan Weldon. Like 10 minutes after they found out their friend was dead, they got back in the cars, they lined up single file, and they did two laps of the track. And the team, it might be on YouTube if people want to check it out, if you want to really depress yourself. Uh, but it's the team audio of drivers crying into their microphone with their head down as they crawl around the track that their friend has just died on is like, oh, man, like if that doesn't, it, you don't even have to like racing. You don't have to like sports. You just have to like people for that to really hit you in a hard, hard way. Yeah. And I think back to last year, F1, Roman Grosjean, right? Where, you know, oh, the car catches man. on fire and you don't know if he's going to get out and then he gets out. That was and, terrifying. You know, but there, the, there was a, a moment of this relief that came over everybody watching that, um, knowing that he did get out of the car um, because he was in there for a long time. I forget how many seconds exactly I stood in uh, front he of was my, in that car. I stood in front of my TV for a half hour. Like my fiance, Marlene, had not come downstairs when that happened. And the race started before she came down. And when she came down, I was standing there and my face was just white. And she's like, what's going on? And I remember, mm -hmm. and I remember saying, I have no idea how he's alive. And I just kept saying, he should be dead. He should be, I don't know. I almost just watched a guy die. This doesn't make any sense. I don't know how he got out. Yeah. Uh, and the other one like that was actually Dale Earnhardt Jr. He crashed, I believe in IMSA, if I'm not mistaken, or might've been the Le Mans series. And he actually crashed in a, in one of the Corvette uh, ZV6s, I think it is, yellow Corvettes that they run in Le Mans. We're talking about Junior? Uh, yeah, yeah. So and yeah. this is after his dad had died. He crashed, yeah. his car, car caught on fire, and he had a similar experience to Roman Grosjean where he paused and he said, I was dead. Like, I'm, I'm buckled in. I can't get out. It's like there's no – and then he said he just felt like something was ripping him out of the car. And he says he believes it was his dad. Like, really, he says, like, my dad didn't want me to die yeah. the way he did in a race car. And my dad dragged me out of that car and saved me. Because Roman says that 
he he thought he was stuck because he couldn't get his head out because the halo was in the way and the barrier was attached to it and the car's in flames and he's like and then i just had this image right away of my children and it flashed in front of my face and all of a sudden i found this little piece to the left that i could squeak out from and i grabbed it and pulled myself and i was free and he was man those stories of people that come close to that stuff like when christian erickson gets an opportunity to speak about what happened to him there's gonna be something incredible that is was still terrifying but there there will be something incredible that comes out of that um again all the situations i'm bringing to the table are all stuff i watched on tv yeah i'm remembering now in person it's probably 2005 i'm in like grade 10 high school football game and our team was up like four points or something the other team had just scored onside kick this is under a minute left at the old Iverwin stadium <sighs> onside and on, onside kick and this kid nick he was like you know a backup defensive end rarely played um again i was in the i was in the stands watching it you know with my you know peers and ball goes up in the air it was a perfect onside kick he, this kid put it so high one bounce off the ground so high nick was kind of in the second level first level somebody missed the block and the guy just cleans him out. Problem was the kid like jumped into this kid, Nick, who had caught the ball under his helmet. You could see his head snap back. And what happens when he's in the air because he jumps, he lands on his head. So it was like double whammy shot to the head lands on his head. He held onto the ball. Somehow the ball came out after he hit the ground referee ruled him down. And everybody in the crowd, again, high school students, we're naive. We don't know if that yeah. kid's okay. Everybody's like, oh, what a hit. All of a sudden, crowd clears. Nick is on his back. Oh, he's out cold. Ambulance had to come on the field. Thankfully, he was okay. But like a moment like that, somebody who you know personally. Yeah. I wasn't friends with him, but I, I, we knew each other. Just, yeah, a, a brutal thing that could happen. And again, this is 2005, before concussions were really a thing, when we loved big hits. I think the feeling of it now is a little bit different. But you see that, especially kids who aren't getting paid. I'm like, this kid's out here, just got his head taken off, and he's out cold on the field. It sucks. But I think it's sometimes the reality of sports that we forget. One, these are super athletes on the field. But the way the human body works, it you can work out as much as you want. And terrible injuries are going to happen. Terrible things can happen. And you react the same as everybody else. And that's just something that we have to live with. And it's a sobering feeling sometimes when you're watching a sporting event and, you know, a crisis happens like it did at the Euro. That's a joke. That's the definition of a joke right there. There you go. Just wanted to add in a little bit of lightheartedness to the end of this segment about dying. I know. I was Only about to say 10,000 like segments like, from <laughs> retirement. <laughs> uh, we went deep on that one. Holy boats. But yeah, that Christian Erickson stuff was, it was too, uh, too interesting and too dangerous to not dive into. Uh, better things ahead, hopefully in your hair as we keep the excitement and more people put Portuguese flags on their car across the city. Uh, when we come <laughs> back on the other side, we're going to talk about the CFL schedule release for you. Of course, We'll dive into the Ticat specifically, look at some of the Argos stuff across the league, some interesting notes. But first, a word from our good friends at Forced Joni. Ready to hit the links, but the course isn't ready for you yet? Marshall Ferguson here for Forced Joni. I've got the solution for you. Get your golf game in shape before the season begins by booking the Forced Joni Trackman Golf Simulators. They are world-class. They've got new daily drink deals and a spring-summer menu coming just in time 
for patio season just around the corner. They're located at 1070 Stone Church Road East here in Hamilton. For information, info at forstagioni.ca. They are open for Takeo Daily. Give them a call, 905-381-9850. And, of course, you can follow along on Instagram at four. That's F-O-R-E dot Stagioni, S-T-A-G-I-O-N-E. For those tough wake-ups. He defines masculinity. He redefined what it means to wear a tracksuit on television. And uh, and we can't wait to have him back on air. Hal, thank you so much for the time this morning. It's Martian Mello. Th- thanks very much. And until next time, keep fit and have fun. Yes! Oh, yes! <laughs> he nailed the disdown! What a great moment. I was actually telling somebody at work the other day. I was like, they go, hey, who are the fun people you interviewed? When you were uh, doing radio stuff, I said, well, number one for me was Red Green. That, that was a treat. That was an absolute <laughs> joy uh, because I love that show so much. And he was exactly what I had hoped that he would be. And I said, <laughs> but really the best one was Hal Johnson. He came in and yeah. we, we basically did a radio version of Body Break with him. And he finished with, until next time, keep fit and have fun. And the guy, <laughs> and the guy goes, that's unbelievable because I was in Muskoka last weekend and I was out on a kayak with one of my friends that I was up there with. And as we're paddling down, he goes, yeah, see that cottage over there? That's how Johnson and Joanne McLeod's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's he awesome. actually went past it and he was like, I can't believe you just brought up Hal Johnson. I not, thought nobody would bring up Hal Johnson to me for the rest of my life after my yeah. friend pointed out his cottage, but you just did. I'm like, that is so good. Hey, that's awesome that you said uh, about Hal before we uh, let him sign off there, about he made uh, you know wearing a tracksuit on TV look cool. And I'm yeah. like, somebody, one of these entertainment reporters, you ask the most useless questions all the bleeping time. Somebody needs to ask like DJ Khaled or somebody that always wears a tracksuit <laughs> and just say, uh, do you know who Hal Johnson is? And uh, do you want to pay homage to him uh, because you copy his style? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, we got a comment on uh, the YouTube edition of the breakdown with myself and Derek Taylor this week on our Canadian Football Perspective YouTube channel, uh, where somebody said that they were extremely thankful to hear the holy moly Jeremiah Masoli clip. Uh, so I, I wanted to play that here for holy people. Holy moly Jeremiah Masoli. All right, good. I'm glad that I got that in for you. But I'll give you a little added edition of this because you're going to be hearing this at the stadium again soon because we have CFL football, folks. We need more cowbell. <laughs> there it is. Uh, <laughs> that, will, that will be ringing around Tim Morris. When we're allowed to have people in the stands, which I don't know when that is as of right now. Uh, but... Great to see the CFL coming back this week. If you want a full breakdown of all things schedule without our little marshmallow fun twist on stuff, uh, go to Thursday's show, All Canadian Wade and Connor did a great job of breaking that down for you. Again, it's in our podcast feed if you want to check it out. But I just wanted to take a look here, Kyle, at some of the interesting things that we found from the schedule uh, before we start to wind down on this week's edition of the show because uh, I wrote an article for CFL.ca this week on the top 10 quarterback matchups that I'm looking forward to in this CFL year. And I look at obviously, you know, week one, having probably Jeremiah Masoli against Zach Kalaros. The storylines are thick there because you have Zach who used to play for Hamilton towards ACL gets pushed out of town. Jeremiah comes in, takes over his role because June wants Jeremiah more than he wants Zach. And then you end up having Jeremiah tear his ACL in Hamilton. Same thing that Zach went through. Now they're both back after ACLs. Jeremiah didn't get a chance to play against Winnipeg in the Great Cup. Now he gets a chance against them in week one. Again, it's all of those things are, are incredible. That's going to be a, a stunning week one matchup. But after that, I was going through. I'm like, it's hard not to pick a lot of these because there's so many good storylines. Because even right down to things like Vernon Adams Jr. against Mike Riley. It's like you might not think of that as a marquee matchup. Yeah. And I didn't even include it in my top 10. 
but it's like, can Vernon Adams Jr. outduel Mike Riley later in his career and show that he's actually really a quarterback after the Ticats tried to make him a receiver and then we're going to release him before Montreal picked him up and actually turned him into something again in 2019? It's like, well, how about week one? Nick Arbuckle and Bo Levi Mitchell. For real. Yeah. And it, that, that <laughs> front, that made the, the article. I actually put that in because I'm like, I can't not put this in. And uh, I am, I'm so intrigued by that because when you are, when you're a quarterback and you're an offensive coordinator, you know the terminology of the system that you were just in, and you impart that upon the defense that you are working with when you go to a new, te- a new team. You say, you know, if he makes this check at the line or this hand motion, or this is what they like to do on second down, or this is what's in the package. And it forces coaches to be more creative than they typically would. Not that CFL coaches are going to be super bland all the time, or especially in week one. They're always going to have stuff in the bag. They always have alternative plans. They're going to sprinkle in two or three things that you haven't seen before in that game, regardless of who they're playing. But I genuinely believe because it's Toronto Calgary and the number of people that have left Calgary and gone to Toronto, there's going to be five to 10 creative things in that game. Like that game is going to be so much fun. And I don't want to oversell it because it might end up being a blowout for either side. And then people are like, it's oh, the first you... football game in two years. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you said it was going to be so exciting. And it was a dud because none of these guys have played football and the tackling was awful. Yes, that might be true. But I believe in terms of strategy and system, this is going to force both teams to do some some funky stuff, some different stuff. And I also, yeah. I don't think it's going to look the exact same on offense for both teams because I know a lot of people think, well, Arbuckle and Dinwiddie are just going to be running the same stuff that Dickinson and Bo Levi Mitchell did. I'm telling you, coaches, when they have the amount of time they've had to think about stuff, are, <laughs> are not going to sit there and be like, well, yeah, this is our base package and we're just going to do this all the time. I guarantee Dickinson has been sitting there and thinking about what do we want to do to the Argos to really send a message? Let's come up with something funky here, Bo. And I'm not saying trick plays and double reverse passes. And I'm just saying, hey, you know that route combination that we've been running a lot for the last five years? Why don't we put this little tweak on it and run a double move in the third quarter and take a shot down the field and score a big touchdown that puts us ahead by 10? Or, you know, maybe it's Dinwiddie and he's saying to Arbuckle, hey, you know, they they probably are guessing that we're going to go with this route combination off of play action on first down, uh, you know, in, uh, to begin the game. Well, why don't we do that and take a shot on first down to start off the game and send a message? It's like, this is going to be a game Toronto Calgary in week one. That's just a message sender for both sides. And it might be a little bit of feeling out time and it might be a little sloppy, but I promise you at some point in that game, you're going to, ju- <laughs> you're going to go, wow, this is good football. Like this is really interesting back and forth strategic adjustments being made on the fly. I think week one, especially coaches, um, uh, they're going to focus solely on their team. What can they do to get the win? Do you go back and look at tape from 2019 just to find out trends of coaches and quarterbacks? Do you you go back or is it meaningless now? Well, I wonder what you go back to because some of the coaching staffs have had some pretty heavy overturn, right? Like, I don't don't know if there's really nothing to watch on Edmonton. You have to go back and watch film of 2017 Ottawa to understand what Jamie Elizondo is going to be doing with Ellingson and Darrell Walker and uh, Armonte Edwards and Trevor Harris and, 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 and then even, I mean, do you, if you're Calgary, do you look at your own film like to find out what Din like because you know Din would be better than anybody and he's going to be calling the shots there. But then you've also got, yeah. I think Stephen McAdoo in house who was with Saskatchewan. So it's like this weird combination of so to your point, I think they'll watch some they'll focus on their teams, but that creates a really interesting dynamic to to just be focused on what you do and try to do it better than everybody else that usually create because I mean, we saw week one of 2019 
Calgary lost at home for the first time in what felt like forever to Ottawa, where Dominique Davis goes in and throws three interceptions. Two of them were god-awful, but gets the win. And then in week two, (laughs) you see Cody Fajardo in his first start for the Riders go into Ottawa and get out-dueled by Dominique Davis, who looked unbelievable in that game. And so the point of me bringing these first two games up is we know how Ottawa finished the rest of the year. They only had one more win the rest of the season. They finished 3-15. and They lost 15 of their last 16 games in 2019. So sometimes you get some weird situations where when you're just focusing on your team and nobody really has that much film on you, you can do some stuff that doesn't actually tell you how it's going to go. But in a 14-game season, you might end up going on a four-game stretch where you're hot and people don't have enough film on you yet. They haven't been able to game plan against you the way they would if it was week 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. So you can actually ride a four-game hot streak, get a couple of upsets, and all of a sudden, you're right there on the edge of the playoffs as you get down the stretch of a 16-week, 14-game schedule, which is why I look at Ottawa and everybody picking them to be dead last. I'm like, yeah, that's rational because they probably don't have the amount of talent they need right now, and they probably don't have enough pieces, and they probably... But I don't know in a 14-game schedule. Like, that's what's going to make this so crazy. And a 14-game schedule where we're coming off nothing. We have nothing to go back on, right? Yes, the last time we've seen certain teams... um, they look bad or they look good. This is two years later. Like we have no idea on what quarterbacks are going to look like. You can't just sit for that long, come back and no preseason and just hit the ground running and you're good to go. And it's like the first couple of weeks, don't be surprised. Mike Riley has like a touchdown pass and four interceptions. Cause he's like, man, this is going to take, this is going to take a couple of weeks to get used to. Um, but you know, as far as we know, it looks like there's going to be eight teams that make the playoffs. If that's the case, a team like maybe perhaps Ottawa, if they finish dead last after 14 games and are the only team that don't make the playoffs, I have no sympathy for you. Yes, it's a shorter season, but if you're dead last after 14 games, you're probably not going to do anything in the playoffs. So I'm good yeah. with you, you know, being the only team out. But, you know, moving forward uh, into this season, I think by week two is going to be interesting, right? Because now coaches have tape to go off of and they know kind of what teams look like. Um, but if a team comes out, actually, I wouldn't be surprised week one, we have like a CFL record broken for like false starts where it's like <laughs> the tie cats today jumped offside. Their offense did eight times. Yeah. Holy hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'll also just hearing you talk about Ottawa there and the idea of like, what do you watch and go back for film? I believe that Paul Apolis is a great offensive coach. I really do. And yeah. I, I, people know that from the things that I've written about him and the way that I talk about him. And it's watch the great cup 2019. Yeah, like yeah. I just, I think he's so good at what he does. I have so much respect for what he does. And are you going to go back? If you are, uh, who, I don't know who's playing Ottawa in week number one. I think it might. Be. Uh, they're the buy. Uh, no, no, actually, they're playing week, week uh, one Edmonton. Is the at, Elks. <laughs> at the Elks, yes. Uh, at the Elk Lodge, uh, which I really hope is what they renamed Commonwealth. That'd be fantastic. The Lodge. Uh, but I, if you are Edmonton and you're Elizondo, like, do in your Noel Thorpe and so many Ottawa connections, Brock Sunderland uh, on that Elks team, do you go back and watch Winnipeg? offense from 2019 the rational answer is yeah of course but the reason that i bring up why i have so much respect for paul apelice is what's to say that like because we're all assuming well paul apelice is just going to run the stuff that he ran when he was in winnipeg okay but you don't have andrew harris 
So maybe he designed that entire system around things he wanted to do based in everybody had to look into the backfield and know what 33 was doing at all times. Yeah. They have they have Timothy Flanders. I don't think Timothy Flanders is Andrew Harris. I don't think you can base an offense around him the way you did Andrew Harris. So if you go back and you watch 2019 Bombers tape for Edmonton to get ready for week one against Ottawa, are you really going to be helping yourself or are you going to be hurting yourself when he comes out and he's running completely different stuff to start the season? Because there ain't even preseason for you to have film on the idea of, oh, what is offense kind of going to look like in Ottawa? The first snap they take in that game will be the first time we find out what the offense looks like in Ottawa. And albeit, Dan Peterman is there, former bomber. Matt Nichols is there, former bomber. Uh, Timothy Flanders is there, former bomber. Anthony Coombs is there. Basically, Nick Dembski, who's a, still a bomber. Like, it's so much of it is designed, and it looks so cookie-cutter that it's just going to be that offense. And it might be. But I love the yeah. idea of Lapo coming out in week one and just being like, oh, you guys all thought that I was going to run that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. And just running something completely different. And then it's like, for an entire game, we're all going, oh, my God, I can't believe that he's doing this difference. And if he's doing something different, I promise you, I know what Edmonton's going to look like. Because yeah. having Elizondo with Trevor Harris, with Greg Gelling, same with Darrell, like, I, I know what that's going to look like. It's going to be really efficient. It's going to be really similar to 2017, 2018, what they had in Ottawa when Elizondo was calling the shots there and just ringing it up across the East. I agree with you. I don't know if we'll see it right away where Trevor Harris is connecting with Greg Ellingson down the sideline. And it's like a 79 yard touchdown. I don't think that we're going to hear that week one, um, but who knows, right? Like defenses too, like they're coming off of nothing where they sat around for a while and they want to hit somebody personal foul penalties, by the way, going to hit an all time high in week one of the CFL season. You touched Kyle, on it on last week. Show. Kyle, I saw that Jeremy O'Day said, <laughs> uh, and I think it was uh, somebody from Saskatchewan who wrote an article where they said, what are you planning on doing without a preseason? And he said, we're already looking into a controlled scrimmage against the team. You guys probably know what that team is. And then the article said, obviously referencing Winnipeg. I'm like, yo. <laughs> How do I get tickets for that? I'm like, <laughs> bad idea. Very bad idea. Like, yeah. I, I, I'll clip, <laughs> I'll clip uh, the, what I had to say last week and, and send it out to that tweet maybe at some point. But I saw that quote. And immediately my mind went to me saying, do you know what the advantage is of having people in those inter-squad practices and little mini games and stuff is it's to get people ready for the season. And yes, you can absolutely do that. But if they're not allowed to hit in training camp on their own team, why in the CBA would you be able to randomly ratify an inter-squad or, a, you know, a quick little game or a, a crossover practice against these guys and go full tempo, full contact? And if you're not going full tempo, full contact, what is the advantage of bringing in a team and having them go against you just to see some different bodies, to see a different speed, yeah. to see, I mean, I guess there's some things that can be uh, advantageous to that setup, but I do wonder when I saw that quote, I'm like, that's, that seems like a bad idea from like a people getting injured unnecessarily in a long training camp setup. Yeah. Well, here's something for you. I think if, and you know, in the past, when the schedule comes out, we always looked at it, at least when there was nine teams, we always looked at it and said, okay, who's on by this week? Who's not yeah. playing that opening week? Cause I thought it was kind of an advantage, right? Because you could sit back in week one, survey the league and have an idea on what every team brings to the table. And you have an extra week uh, essentially to, you know, prepare for your opponent, but now you have tape on them. That's really recent, even though your team hasn't hit the field, the Montreal Alouettes are not playing week one. They're playing week two in Edmonton. Jimmy Elizondo is going to go into that with, you know, kind of 
you know, an unknown feeling because we don't know what Montreal is going to look like. Um, But for the Alouettes, I don't think it's an advantage at all because now in week two, you're playing an Edmonton team that played the previous week and you haven't played in a very long time. I'm not saying that team that you play in week two is going to be in rhythm already. They're going to be a hell of a lot more rhythm than you are. Like that first quarter, you know, you have Kari Jones better tell his team, Hey, we have to focus like week one. We have to focus and approach this with the right mindset because we could get run off the field in the first quarter because we're not focused and we're not ready to play. And then, you know, they just jump on us. Uh, so week one, it's Hamilton, Winnipeg on the Thursday night, 8.30 p.m. kickoff, which is fantastic. Friday night football, it's, it's BC, Mike Riley at Cody Fajardo and the Riders. Like if Saskatchewan is allowed to have full or very close to full capacity for their first game, in August, that's going to be a Friday night game, which is going to be 7.30 local time in Regina. That place in Mosaic is going to be bonkers. All these uh, places are going to be crazy. Oh, yeah. like and, and obviously, because they're starting in the West, where a lot of the great crowds are, that's going to play into it. But uh, BC at Calgary Week 2, Mike Riley, Bo Levi Mitchell, like, whew, love it. Uh, Toronto, Winnipeg, you get Kalaros against another one of his former teams, albeit he was there for like a week. Uh, and then, yeah, Hamilton, Sask in Week 2, like right away two teams that have had great matchups the last couple of years. It's like every single game right now, I can look at this and circle and say it's wonderful, but Hamilton not getting a home date until they end up uh, being able to come home and play Labor on Day's gonna mo- be insane. Mo- Monday, September 6th. Again, if that place can be close to relatively full, like I just want to go through some of the tie cats sound here. The just... tie cats are going to want to know what he's got left in the tank. Mm. I wish I used that clip for other people when we're talking about it. But uh, yeah, the uh, let me see knowing here. the tie cats, they're going to do something. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go, tie cats. Go get that great cup, boy. <laughs> that one just makes me happy. I don't know why we uh, we kept any of that in, but uh, and I'll finish you off here with a. I'm pretty sure that's just from like the movie, uh, the 20th Century Fox or the Goldwyn Meyer or something ad before you're watching that. This used to mean that you were about to watch a dope movie if you heard this. You remember that, Kyle? Those days where you would see that leading? I don't even know if they still do that because I haven't seen a movie in so damn long. But see, I just hear that sound and I'm like, what I would do if I was in a tent in the middle of the night in the woods and I heard that. Shivers down the spine. Shivers down the spine. I would scream. <laughs> Probably a bad idea because. Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe it's a good idea because depending on the animal, if you just go, hey, bear, maybe they'll go away. You know, you just give them a little yell. Yeah. Or it's, or it's Bigfoot for all those people that think Bigfoot's a thing. You ever seen Bigfoot? I have. Yeah. Chris Benzile, uh, right tackle. <laughs> <laughs> for the tech cats. Uh, but yeah, the schedule is amazing and I can't wait to see them get back on the field. We'll break it down more as we get closer and closer to the season. But uh, we're going to take a quick break right now. Exciting coming up this weekend on Father's Day weekend. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, my first as a father, which is uh, it's a crazy feeling knowing that I've always been celebrating Father's Day for my dad and my grandpa. And now I get an opportunity to be it. But I uh, hope that everybody has a great weekend. I'm going to be watching a lot of golf. U.S. Open of course, is already underway this weekend and uh, looking forward to doing that. And if you want some help with your golf game, then go check out our boy Carlo from offthetee.ca. Here is his newest ad letting you know how you can get involved and 
do it for a great cause here on Canadian Football Perspective. Marshall Ferguson here from my good friend Carlo Macaluso at offthetee.ca. Are you wondering why everyone is taking up golf? Are you considering taking a lesson? Maybe you want to brush up on your game. Maybe you've got a round coming up with your buddies. You want to impress them. But do you also love helping out your community? Well, here's your chance to do all that and much more. If you take a free, yes, free 20-minute golf lesson with offthetee.ca and Carlo on June 30th at the Oaks of St. George, any donations made will be 100% donated to McMaster's Children's Hospital. It is an amazing facility. I have personal experience being around there. Kyle and I used to do some fundraisers with the McMaster Children's Hospital. What they do is fantastic. My son was born at the McMaster Children's Hospital. Those people are incredible. And Carlo doing this with offthetea.ca is as well. You can contact him at 905-807-807. 4363 again Carlo Macaluso off the tee.ca 905 807 4363 brush up on your golf game and help out in the Hamilton community for those tough wake-ups I want to give you a chance Pete to call a couple of places Let's see what you can do here buddy yeah okay balls on the right hash we got the boys looking deep downfield it's second and ten it's Marsh and Mellow but I got a feeling that we're going to go try to pick up a chunk right here they're going to be defending low and we're going to find a way quarterback scrambling gets the ball loose Hi. <laughs> never gets old. Never, never change, Peter Dajkowski. All right, let's get into the three-minute warning. Get ready. Get ready. Let's go. A little urgency. Here we go. Let's go. We're almost out of here. This is the three-minute warning brought to you by... It's brought to you by the speeding ticket that I hold in my hand that uh, I accrued uh, back on Thursday. Kyle, I was being a real daredevil. I got myself a speeding ticket. I was going. Uh, oh. six, I was going sixty and a fifty. Uh, oh my goodness! And that fifty was on the aforementioned Barton Street, uh, where it's not a residential area. It's wide open, and everybody drives seventy. It just so happened that I was at the front of the line when the light went green, and I got it up to sixty without realizing. And there was a police officer standing behind a pole down the road, sniping people with the radar gun. And he got me yeah. at 60, pulled me over, and uh, no demerits, just a little bit of cash out of the pocket. But I was just like, eh, okay, I don't know if that really required me getting pulled over. So it's brought to you today by Speeding Tickets. That sucks. By the way, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on this show. I'm going to mention it again. I only live in Hamilton, so I only know about this city. Hey, city of Hamilton, can you please take down the stupid flashing yellow lights in school zones? Oh, School's yeah. not a thing. Right now, it hasn't been a thing for a very long time. It makes no sense on why we have speed limits that are 40 when there's no school going on. Yes, uh, I would just want to give a shout out here on our way out on the show today to the Marshall Thundering Herd strength coach. Remember, I introduced you to this guy a while back. He was in the Friday house party, which we will get back to doing. Uh, But the Marshall Thundering Herd strength coach, his name is Ben Ashford, and he came from Alabama. And he actually had this to offer up at his introductory press conference, which was via zoom but that didn't stop him from bringing the energy let's go get this mug all right i'm gonna teach you how to do this after this it's her jacks here's what we do we say her jacks team ready you say ready we say her jacks team ready you say ready herd exercise h e o d herd hat let's go to work uh, so that is directly stolen from scott cochran who used to be the alabama strength and conditioning coach who would do uh, ready 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 b a M A 
Bama, exercise, ready. Okay, so he he does that thing. But Marshall Football <laughs> sent out a video today that I just want people to get them fired up, okay? If you want to get back into the gym, the weather's warm, you want to work on that winter 2021 body, uh, because, by the way, uh, just a little bit of a heads up to people, it's too late to create that summer bod you always wanted. If you're starting to work out in June, those days have, have faded, uh, and you are going to look great by October, my friends, when you start putting on hoodies. Uh, Halloween but, party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but they put this video out of him at a Marshall Thundering Herd practice. Hey, Jack TV! Hey! Hey, Jack, my TV! Hey! Okay, now I'm kind of in. You hear it in person when it's oh, not in wow. a, when it's not in a Zoom call, and I'm like, I am terrified of that human being. Ooh. And the the video that goes with it, go to at herd fb h e r d f b if you want to check out that video. Uh, ben Ashford, he's built like a bowling ball, like he's ninety nine point eight percent muscle, and he has a voice, and he's got a big old black beard too. He's terrifying. He he is just if I were to stumble across him and he was driving a four by four pickup, and I was driving my little Mazda three. I would drive into a wall to get out of his way. Yeah, uh, I feel mistaken uh, just saying that if I was in a tent and I heard the the lion or the tiger roar, <laughs> I would uh, I would scream. Um, I think if I was in the tent and I heard, "Hey, Jack, get ready! Hey, Jack, my get ready! Hey!" Oh my god! Yeah, I, th- I think that's more scared. I agree. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for being with us here on Marshmallow. Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.